A Modest Liking for Liverpool by W. D. Howells Travel Collection Number One This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Modest Liking for Liverpool Why should the proud stomach of an American travel much tossed in the transatlantic voyage so instantly have itself carried from liverpool to any point where trains will convey it liverpool is most worthy to be seen and known and no one who looks up from the bacon and eggs of his first hotel breakfast after landing and finds himself confronted by the coal-smoked greek architecture of st george's hall can deny that it is a singularly noble presence the city has moments of failing in the promise of this classic edifice but every now and then it reverts to it and reminds the traveller that he is in a great modern metropolis of commerce by many other noble edifices one liverpool does not remind him of this so much as the good and true bydecker professes in the dockside run on the overhead railway as the place unambitiously calls its elevated road but then as i noted in my account of southampton docks have a fancy of taking themselves in or eluding the tourist eye and even when they flank the mersey for a distance of six to seven miles they do not respond to american curiosity so frankly as could be wished they are like other english things in that however and it must be said for them that when apparent they are sometimes unimpressive from my own notebook indeed i find that i pretended to think them wonderful and almost endless and so i dare say they are but they formed only a very perfunctory interest of our day at liverpool where we had come to meet not to take a steamer our run from london in the heart of june was very quick and pleasant through a neat country and many tidy towns in the meadows the elms seemed to droop like our own rather than to hold themselves oakenly upright like the english the cattle stood about in the yellow buttercups knee-deep white american daisies and red clover and among the sheep we had our choice of shorn and unshorn they were equally abundant some of the blossomy may was left yet on the hawthorns and over all the sky hovered with pale white clouds and pale blue spaces of air like an averted lake of bonny clabber we stopped the night at chester and the next evening in the full daylight of seven forty we pushed on to liverpool over lovely levels with a ground swell like that of kansas plains under a sunset drawing its tears and at last radiantly smiling two the hotel in liverpool swarmed and buzzed with busy and murmurous american arrivals one could hardly get at the office window on account of them to plead for a room a dense group of our countrywomen were buying picture postals of the rather suave office ladies and helplessly fawning on them in the inept confidences of american women with all persons in official or servile attendance let me stay here one of them entreated because there's such a draught at the other window may i she was a gentle child of forty-five or fifty 
and I do not know whether she was allowed to stay in the sheltered nook or not. Tender creature. As she was in everyone else's way there, possibly she was partially driven into the flaw at the other window. The place was a little America, which swelled into a larger with the arrivals of the successive steamers, though the soft, swift English trains bore our co-nationals away as rapidly as they could. Many familiar accents remained till the morning, and the breakfast room was full of a nasal resonance which would have made one at home anywhere in our east or west. I, who was then vainly trying to be English, escaped to the congenial top of the farthest bound tram, and flew at the rate of four miles an hour to the uttermost suburbs of Liverpool, whither no rumour of my native speech could penetrate. It was some balm to my wounded pride of country to note how pale and small the average type of the local people was. The poor classes swarmed along a great part of the tram line in side streets of a hard stony look, and what characterized itself to me as a sort of iron squalor seemed to prevail. You cannot anywhere have great prosperity without great adversity, just as you cannot have day without night, and the more Liverpool evidently flourished, the more it plainly languished. I found no pleasure in the paradox, and I was not overjoyed by the inevitable ugliness of the brick villas of the suburbs into which these obdurate streets decayed. But then, over divers' tram changes, came the consolation of beautiful riverside beaches, thronged with people who looked gay at that distance, and beyond the mercy rose the Welsh hills, blue, blue. 3. At the end of the tram line, where we necessarily dismounted, we rejected a thatched cottage offering us tea, because we thought it looked too thatched and too cottage to be quite true though I do not now say that there were vermin in the straw roof, and accepted the hospitality of a pastry-cooked shop. We felt the more at home with the kind woman, who kept it because she had a brother at Chicago, and the employee of the Pinkerton Detective Agency, and had once been in Stratford-on-Avon. This doubly satisfied us as cultivated Americans. She had a Welsh name, and she testified to a great prevalence of welsh and irish in the population of liverpool besides she sent us to a church of the crusaders at little crosby and it was no fault of hers that we did not find it we found one of the many old crosses for which little crosby is named and this was quite as much as we merited it stood at the intersection of the streets in what seemed the fragment of a village not quite lost in the vast maw of the city and it calmed all the simple neighborhood, so that we sat down at its foot and rested a long, long minute, till the tram came back and took us back into the loud, hard heart of Liverpool. I do not mean to blame it, for it was no louder or harder than the hearts of other big towns, and it had some alleviation from the many young couples who were out together half-holidaying in the unusually pleasant Saturday weather. I wish their complexions had been better, but you cannot have south of England color if you live as far north as Liverpool, and all the world knows what the American color is. The young couples abounded in the gallery of fine arts, where they frankly looked at one another instead of the pictures. The pictures might have been better, but then they might have been worse, 
there being examples of Filippi Lippi, Memmi, Holwein, and above all the Dante's dream of Rossetti. And in any case, those couples could come and see them when they were old men and women, but now they had one another in a moment of half-holiday, which could not last forever. In the evening there were not so many lovers at the religious meetings before the classic edifice opposite the hotel, where the devotions were transacted with the help of a brass band, but there were many youths smoking short pipes and flitting from one preacher to another in the half-dozen groups. Some preachers were nonconformists, but there was one perspiring Anglican priest who labored earnestly with his hearers, and who had more of his aspirates in the right place. Many of his hearers were in the rags which seemed a favorite wear in Liverpool, and I hope his words did their poor hearts good. Slightly apart from the several congregations, I found myself with a fellow foreigner of seafaring complexion who addressed me in an accent so unlike my own American that I ventured to answer him in Italian. He was indeed a Genoese who had spent much time in Buenos Aires and was presently thinking of New York, and we had some friendly discourse together concerning the English. His ideas of them were often so parallel with mine that I hardly know how to say he thought them an improvident people. I own that they spent much more on state or station than the Americans, but we neither had any censor for them otherwise. He was of the philosophic mind which one is rather apt to encounter in the Latin races, and I could well wish for his further acquaintance. His talk wrapped me to far other and earlier scenes, and I seemed to be conversing with him under a Venetian heaven, among objects of art more convincing than the equestrian statue of the late queen, who had no special motive I could think of for being shown to her rightly loving subjects on horseback. We parted with the expressed hope of seeing each other again, and if this should meet his eye and he can recall the pale young man with the dark full beard, who chatted with him between the pillars of the Piazzetta, forty years before our actual encounter, I would be glad of his address. 4. How strange are the uses of travel. There was a time when the mention of Liverpool would have conjured up for me nothing but the thought of Hawthorne, who spent divers dull counsellor years there, and has left a record of them which I had read, with the wish that it were cheerfuller. Yet now, here on the grounds his feet might have trod, and in the very smoke he breathed, I did not once think of him. I thought as little of that poor Felicia Haymans, whose poetry filled my school reading years with the roar of the wintry sea breaking from the waveless Plymouth Bay on the stern and rock-bound coast where the Pilgrim Fathers landed on a boulder measuring eight by ten feet now fenced in against the predatory hammers and chisels of reverent visitors. I knew that Gladstone was born at Liverpool, but not Mrs. Oliphant, and the only literary shade I could summon from a past vague enough to my ignorance was William Roscoe, whose life of Leo X in the Bone Library had been too much for my young zeal when my zeal was still young. My other memories of Liverpool have been acquired since my visit, and I now recur fondly to the picturesque times when King John founded a castle there, 
to the prouder times when sir francis bacon presented it in parliament or again to the brave days when it resisted prince rupert for three weeks and the inglorious epoch when the new city it was then only some four or five hundred years old began to flourish on the trade in slaves with the colonies of the spanish main and on the conjoint and congenial traffic in rum sugar and tobacco will be suspected from these reminiscences that i have been studying a page of fine print in bydecker and i will not deceive the reader it is true but it is also true that i had some wonder altogether of my own that so great a city should make so small an appeal to the imagination in this it outdoes almost any metropolis of our own even in journalism an intensely modern product it does not excel manchester has its able and well-written guardian but what has liverpool glasgow has its glasgow school of painting but again what has liverpool it is said that not above a million of its people live in it all the rest who can escape to chester where they perhaps vainly hope to escape the americans there entrenched in charming villas behind myrtle hedges they measurably do so but americans are very penetrating and i would not be sure that the thickest and highest hedge was invulnerable to them as it is they probably constitute the best society of liverpool which the natives have abandoned to them though they do not constitute it permanently but consecutively every cunarder every white star pours out upon a city abandoned by its own good society a flood of cultivated americans who eddy into its hotels and then rush out of them by every train within twenty-four hours and often within twenty-five minutes they understand that there are no objects of interest in liverpool and they are not met at the customs with invitations to breakfast luncheon and dinner from the people of rank and fashion with whom they have come to associate these have their stately seats in the lovely neighboring country but they are not at the landing stage and even the uncultivated american cannot stay for the vast bourgeoisie of which liverpool like the cities of his land is composed our own cities have a social consciousness and are each sensible of being a centre with a metropolitan destiny but the strange thing about liverpool and the like english towns is that they are without any social consciousness their meek millions are socially unborn they can come into the world only in london and in their prenatal obscurity they remain folded in a dreamless silence while all the commercial and industrial energies rage round them in a gigantic maturity five the time was when liverpool was practically the sole point of entry for our human cargoes indentured apprentices of the beautiful the historical with the almost immediate transference of the original transatlantic steamship interests from bristol liverpool became the only place where you could arrive american lines long erased from the seas and the inman line the cunard line the white star line and the rest would land you nowhere else then heretical steamers began to land you at glasgow worse schismatics carried you to southampton there were heterodox craft that touched at plymouth 
and now great swelling agnostics bring you to london itself still liverpool remains the greatest port of entry for our probationers who are bound out to the hotels and railroad companies of all europe till they have morally paid back their fare the superstition that if you go in a cunarder you can sleep on both ears is no longer so exclusive as it once was yet the cunarder continues an arc of safety for the timid and despairing and the cooking is so much better than it used to be that if in contravention of the old cunard rule against a passenger's being carried overboard you do go down you may be reasonably sure of having eaten something that the wallowing sea monsters will liken you i have tried to give some notion of the fond behaviour of the arriving americans in the hotels no art can give the impression of their exceeding multitude expresses panting with as much impatience as the disciplined english expresses ever suffer themselves to show await them in the stations which are effectively parts of the great hotels and whir away to london with them as soon as they can drive up from the steamer but many remain to rest to get the sea out of their heads and legs and to prepare their spirits for adjustment to the novel conditions these the successive trains carry into the heart of the land everywhere these in their baggage to which they continue attached by their very heartstrings invisibly stretching from their first-class corridor compartments to the different luggage vans i must say they have very tenderly very perfectly imagined us all those hotel people and railroad folk enfold us anxious and bewildered exiles in a reassuring and consoling embrace which leaves all their hands they are briarian free for the acceptance of our wide wild tips you may trust yourself implicitly to their care but if you are going to oxford do not trust the head porter who tells you to take the london and northwestern for then you will have to change four times on the way and at every junction personally see that your baggage is unladen and started anew to its destination end of a modest liking for liverpool